Matthew chapter 7, Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27, we're going to look at two builders, two foundations, both hear the word, but only one heeds it. It's a familiar parable. We've been looking at the parables, right, as, as God in his providence is coy and resists the proud, right, those who are haughty and proud in spirit. He, they, the parables are given to stumble, though they have ears but they don't hear, though they have eyes but they don't see, but to the broken and contrite, to, to the, the humble sinner like the publican there in Luke 18, Lord, can't lift his eyes, have mercy on me, a sinner. God gives the kingdom. He opens up the treasure house, as it were, of the kingdom, and he gives these parables that we might understand the mystery of the kingdom. Oh, to have humble hearts to hear the word of God. Well, this, this parable is well known again. Uh, it's at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's a final warning to hear by obeying. To hear by obeying. We, we've said Repeatedly in Hebrews, in the book, in the Old Testament particularly, it's understood that you have not heard until you obey, right? To hear the voice of God is to obey the voice of God. Uh, this parable is spoken uh, after, or before, after a series of choices in contrast. If you look there in the Word of God in verses 13 to 14 of chapter 7, we see two ways. The narrow and the broad way, in verses 15 to 20, we have two teachers, the true teacher and the false teacher. And in verses 21 to 23, we have two claims, those who profess faith and those who profess profess faith, but it's a spurious faith. It's not a genuine saving faith. And now here in 24 to 27, we have two foundations. A foundation that endures in the storm. And another foundation that crumbles in the storm. What Jesus is teaching here is similar to what we hear in James, the book of James, chapter 1, 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So with that introduction, let me read God's word and then I'll pray and ask God the Holy Spirit to come. And be our teacher. This is God's word. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray and ask his blessing. Our Lord, we would ask that you would come and enable me by grace to decrease, that you might increase, that you would bless the meditation of our heart and the words of my lips. Lord, that you might once again renew and encourage and strengthen us 
in obedience, in the obedience of faith, the faith that not only hears, but obeys Jesus' commands. We pray this in the one who fulfilled all the commands for us, who gives us his spirit that we might walk in gospel obedience. We pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. All right, before we look at the two builders this evening, I want to make just four observations. I think it's important just to, what is the text saying? What is the context? What is, what is he actually saying? I know this is very familiar to you, but let me give you four observations. First, everyone is building something. Everyone is building a structure. What do I mean? Well, the metaphor behind the parable is that of life, as a building, that our lives are under construction. We're building a life, right? All of us are making a life. We're, we're building something, whether it's career, whether it's a, a legacy. Our building of life is unique, right? It's individual in the sense that it's, it's very unique to each one of us, right? Whether it's the sum of our decisions, experiences, our actions, the choices we're making, we're all constructing a life. And I want you to take a moment to stop and just reflect and ask yourself, what kind of life am I building? What am I constructing? What is it being constructed upon? Is there a foundation? Have I given that much thought, right? What does this look like? Well, second observation Everyone is building upon some foundation. We don't build in a vacuum, right? There's an organizing principle of life that governs all that we do, that, that forms this foundation upon which we're building this life of ours. This principle determines the direction and the character of our lives. For some, this is just materialism, hedonism, right? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You die and you cease to exist. You go to nowhere. You just die, and that's the end, right? That's the way some people view it. And whether we are conscious or not of our philosophical foundations, we all have one. You see, we all live out of a world and life view. This is very similar to what Matt's been teaching us in Sunday school. We all have a, a lens. We all have a, an assumption, presuppositions, the way that we view life, right? The way it works, why it works, way, way it works and why it works the way it works, right? Basic assumptions that we often take for granted. They determine what we value, what we love, what we do, and how we do it. Practically speaking, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, right? We all have a foundation, and on that foundation, we're, we're building a life. We're, we're building a structure. So that's the second observation. The third observation is as follows. The foundation's quality is not apparent until it's tested by the storm. The storm exposes the foundation for what it is, right? Did you notice that in the parable this evening, each house looks good when they're clear skies, clear and blue skies, right? No clouds in the sky, right? Everything looks fine. The foolish builder's home seems and appears as good as the wise builder's home until their respective foundations are tested. The sand seems just as viable as the rock. Godless foundations can often give the appearance of that which is seemingly sufficient for a good life. Right? Maybe the hedonistic 
Credo is the credo to have. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Unstable foundations may appear as good as those as those anchored in the rock. The difference between the two is not readily apparent. So again, we stop and we ask ourselves. We, we stop and we pause and we reflect. We think. That's the very thing Lloyd-Jones would say the unbeliever never does. He, he never stops to pause. He never stops to think. But we, as image bearers, wanting to please the Father, we stop and we think, well, what am I building on? What am I building and what is it being built on? You see, saints, fame, power, success, wealth can give the impression of security and safety. But the word of God is clear. They're, they're nothing but vain hopes in the day of wrath. Listen to Proverbs 11.4. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath. <laughs> but righteousness delivers from death. Right? So he who dies with the most toys really doesn't win. What he has in the end will be less than chaff. It's only righteousness that delivers from death. And we know as those who adhere to the doctrine of justification, our, our righteousness that's been imputed, credited to us, to our account, secured for us by Jesus Christ. So that's the third observation. The fourth observation, in the parable, both builders are professing Christians. Did you notice this? The contrast that Jesus makes here between the, the two builders, the, the two foundations, the foundation that endures and the foundation that crumbles, like the two ways and the two teachers before it, is not between the unbelieving world and the believer. That's not the contrast. The contrast is between true believers and counterfeit believers. Those who are truly regenerate and those who are Christian in name only. You see, there's some overlap to this morning's sermon, isn't there, as we think about this. Notice that Jesus says, both the wise and the foolish builder hear these words of mine. John Stott says this, both are members of the Christian community. Both are members in the visible church. Both listen to sermons. Both perhaps have subscribed to Al Mohler's morning podcast. Both enjoy the Puritans, Puritan paperbacks. If you're not reading those, you're missing out. Brother wrote me this week with a quote from Thomas Brooks on... Um, Precious Gems Against Satan Devices, I think is that what it's called? It? Precious Remedies Against Satan Devices. Beautiful quote. Rich. Man, I, I, I said I had to go on Amazon and see how much it was. I, I haven't read that. I need to read it. But both the, the wise and the foolish man hear the word of God. Beloved, because their foundations are hidden from view, it, it's really difficult to tell them apart. Kind of like the wheat and the tares. They grow together. Uh, is that wheat or is that tear? I'm not sure. Well, we're not going to dig them up until the last day because if we dig them up, we might bring some wheat with us. We don't want to do that. So we'll wait to the harvest, Jesus says. 
So then how can we tell the difference? How can we discern the difference between these two builders, between the wise builder and the foolish builder? Well, let's look at the two builders. First, the wise builder. Jesus says the wise man both hears and does, <laughs> and does these words of mine. They don't merely listen. They do. They apply and obey. They bring their lives into conformity with the word of God. Right? What is sin? Any transgression of or lack of conformity unto the word of God. Right? They're like saran wrap. It, it wraps around. I'm going to get conformed to the word of God. I want to be like my father. Because his law is just a reflection of who he is. It's holy and undefiled and righteous. I want to be like that. So I want to bring my life into conformity with the Word of God. I want to obey the Word of God. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, right? That's what the believer's always praying. Lord, bring my life into conformity to your Word. Oh, to love your Word. Lord, I don't love your Word like I should. Would you give me a greater love to thee, O Christ? Would you increase that love? A love to obey you? I say I know you, and you say if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Right? I want to obey you, Father. I want to want to obey you, you see. They're not merely content with admiring Jesus' words from afar. No, the word of God is, is like the north star, right, on the sea of the world, right? It's, it's nautically, it's how I, it's, it's exactly where we need, that's due north. It's everything. It's the compass by which they live. Beloved, doing reveals being. What we do says a great deal about who we are. Example, let me give you an example. When a, when a child ignores their mother's voice, it communicates a great deal about the condition of that child's heart, doesn't it? It does, yes. Listen to Proverbs 20:11. Even a child makes himself known by his acts, whether his conduct is pure and right. You see, saints, the, the wise builder acts upon the Word of God. Listen to Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 14, paragraph 2, on saving faith. What is saving faith? The divines tell us. Saving faith believes to be true whatever is revealed in the Word. It yields obedience to the command. It trembles at the threatenings, embraces the promises. But the principal acts of faith are accepting and receiving and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life. You see, the Word of God is precious to the child of God because the Father has given us faith to believe the promises of His Son, right? And Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 21, the one who enters the kingdom of God does the will of my Father. He doesn't just merely hear it. She loves the will of her Father, and she seeks to do the will of her Father in Jesus Christ. You see, those who merely hear the word are deceived. The wise builder doesn't merely admire the Beatitudes. The wise builder hears, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn when they cut on the news and they see the great perversity 
and vulgarity. You can't even speak it without feeling dirty. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek who don't retaliate, who are self-controlled, controlled by the Spirit, for theirs is the new heavens and new earth. You see, they hear Jesus say that we must go to any length to rid ourselves of sin. The wise builder hears that if your right hand causes you to sin, you cut it off. You do whatever's in your power in the Spirit of God to put to death whatever that right hand's doing. And if your eyes causing you to sin, ask for God to give you grace to, to make a covenant with him, like Job did. That you won't look on a virgin in an unchaste way, a, a wicked way, a covetous, lustful way. The wise man, they, they seek to turn the other cheek. They seek to give their coat to those who ask. And if someone asks them to walk a mile, they walk too. It's not just rhetoric. Not empty words. No, it's life. It's the word of my Father and my precious Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Beloved, the wise builder prays in closets. The wise builder, she endeavors to trust God and not be anxious for anything, but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, making her request known to God, and the peace of God in Christ Jesus will guard her heart like a century valiantly around it. She seeks first the kingdom of God in righteousness. Right? That's her main obsession, to please her Savior. The wise builder seeks to get the log out of their own eye before they worry about the speck and that other brother or sister over there. The wise builder, they seek, they ask, they knock in prayer. They know the way to, to life is narrow. It's difficult. It is. Carrying a cross is difficult because you have to die to self-interest to the kingdom of self. It's very difficult. That's why so few do it. But broad, downhill, 72 degrees. Easy is the way to hell. The wise builder is zealous to apply the words of Jesus to every area of life. Jesus, how would you have me spend my money? How should I work as unto you? That boss, he's so hard to work for. But Lord, I know in your providence, you, you've given him to me for good, for my good and your glory. Give me grace to love him. Pray for him. Thank you for him. My family, my pleasure. Right? We're seeking to inform all these things to the Word of God. You see, in Christ, the, the wise man, woman, boy, or girl has new affections, new desires. 
He knows the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The wise woman, she has different priorities. And it's seen. Everyone sees it. <laughs> and when the trials of life come, and they will, no one gets, out of, gets a get-out-of-trials-free card. They're not, they don't exist, like money trees. Right? You tell that to your kids, oh, you think money grows on trees? You know, look over there. You see any? Let's go looking for it. No. The wise man, woman, boy, or girl, they remain unshaken when these trials come. When the torrential rains fall, the floods mount up, the winds beat against the house, they remain standing. Why? Why do they remain standing? Because they're so wise? Because they, man, did you see the walls that Jim built? Oh, my. And that roof? He prayed a pretty pretty for that. No, 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 no. No, no, he didn't do anything. It's God gave him the grace to build it on a rock. Build it on Christ himself. That's why it stands. Persecution, affliction, financial ruin, loss of health, even death itself come. But they remain standing simply because they built their house. They constructed their life. They developed their world and life you wear on the rock. It's pretty vanilla, isn't it? You don't have to be a rocket surgeon to get this. It's pretty common sense, but it's just not that common, is it? But there's another builder. Let's look at the foolish builder. Notice what it says. He also hears these words of mine. But unlike the wise builder, he doesn't do them. He's likened to a man who carelessly built his house on sand. Make no mistake, he also has a foundation. It's just that that foundation is not built on Jesus' words. He hears what the wise builder hears. He hears the words of Jesus, but he fails to apply them. He fails to live in the light of the word of God. Beloved, not only does he transgress what he hears, he fails to conform his life to it. This is the person who is deceived. They're, they're deceived. They're duped. <laughs> There's been a spell put on them, and they don't even know it. Perhaps. Leon Moore says this, and I think it's very helpful. He was a New Testament commentator. He says, we shouldn't think of the foolish builder as deliberately choosing to build upon sand. Did you hear that? He didn't deliberately choose to build upon sand. The problem is rather that he's not seriously taking the necessity of a solid foundation. Saints, the foolish builder is just being careless. This is the builder who merely sees the nice area in which to build the house, right? Oh, sweetie, that would be perfect. You see that, you see that, how scenic that is? That vista? How beautiful? 
And you know what they say in location? In real estate, rather, is location, location, location. It's kind of like going down the PCH. Maybe some of you have done this in California. You get to Malibu. You see those massive, beautiful estates. Millions and millions of dollars. And then it begins to rain in Southern California. And then it continues to rain. And it rains for a couple of weeks. And then the mud starts to give way. And you think, who was the rocket surgeon who put that house on that ledge? And you know what happens? The floods mount up. The winds begin to beat against that house. The rain continues to fall. And that $10 million home just gets swallowed up by the Pacific. And do you think the the Pacific Ocean cares whether it's or not a $10 million home? It could be a shack from Lowe's for all it cares. It doesn't care. It just swallows it. The foolish man hears, but he's careless. He never stops. He never stops to think. He, he never stops to consider. He, he never stops to think about what God requires. He just commences to build, paying no offen- uh, attention to the foundation upon which they're building. The foundation is an afterthought. The couple, right, this couple that sees that beautiful lot, they're in a hurry. The thought of having to, to dig down deep, that's what Luke says. Luke tells us the same parable, and it says he dug down deep. It doesn't say that in Matthew. Well, it took a little bit of effort to get to the rock, and they were willing to do so. But they hear that. That's, it's just you've got to dig down deep to get to the rock. It's just too difficult. This is the young man who hears the word of God but never takes time to apply them to his life, right? Never apply it to his life. He believes the commands of Jesus are just too burdensome, right? Maybe they like good sermons like King Agrippa. Or remember Herod who loved to entertain John the Baptist? You remember that? Yeah. I love a good sermon. John, come on, give me a sermon. They used to say that Benjamin Franklin, this is a digression, just a moment. They used to say that, that Ben Franklin, who I don't know that he was converted, but he loved the preaching of, you know who? George Whitfield. He loved to hear Whitfield. I don't know if he, he, he loved to be entertained or did he get to the place where he actually loved the Word of God. The preacher was superfluous. Because every preacher is superfluous. They're disposable. But the word of God is the treasure, church. Jesus is the treasure. But this person believes the the commands of Jesus are just too burdensome. They enjoy the community of the church. They love the external benefits of the covenant. This is like the man in the multitudes there in Matthew 7, 28, who found themselves, found themselves amazed at Jesus' teaching, amazed but did not follow. They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't obey Jesus. The foolish builder never does. And, and again, notice the considerable likeness of the two builders. Right. right? The initial appearance of both appears fine. The house is going up. 
from the outside, it appears to be well-built, right? We're looking at the walls. We're saying, wow, those are pretty penny. That was a nice roof. But it's only when the storm comes, when the trials and tribulation of life comes, when the floods of sickness come, when the floods of sorrow come, disappointments and grief begin to rise up and beat against the house, then suddenly the house falls. And you notice what it said? You notice what it said? It didn't just fall. It says mega was its fall. Great was its fall. Some of us sometimes can be a little cynical. Yes, that's true, even me. I know I can. Very jaded. Some of us might say, well, I know plenty of non-Christians whose lives were pretty successful. They seemingly died in peace, right? They didn't seem to struggle. They went quietly in the night. They died in their sleep. And besides that, they, they left a nice estate to their children. So how do we explain this? They weren't wise builders. They were foolish, according to the Word of God. So how do we explain it? Well, we explain it the way the Word of God does. The flood that came to their lives came when they died, before the judgment seat of the living God. By faith we believe, Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. The storm came when they stood before God. With the psalmist, we must read the life of the foolish builder in the light of their end. Psalm 73, 16-17. Pastor Sloan preached a sermon from this very pulpit, outstanding, years ago, and I still valued that sermon. Remember that psalm? Where the psalmist's foot almost slipped when he saw the prosperity of the foolish builder. Oh, they have it so easy. They got the best health care, insurance. Man, they look so happy. They got the nicest music, the fastest cars, the most money, right? They don't seem to struggle at all. Psalm 73, 16 and 17. The psalmist's foot almost slipped, but listen to what he says. When I thought of how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task to me. It does. When we take inventory and we look at the world, right, we think, well, are we really fools or what? It seemed wearisome to me. I couldn't figure it out. I, it, was an, it was enigmatic. I, I couldn't figure it out. Why the, the wicked, the wise builder seems to flourish and not suffer the way I struggle. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. It got 2020 then by faith. They saw the end of the foolish builder. In the end, the house of every foolish builder falls, if not in this life, definitely in the next. To build your house on any other foundation save Jesus Christ is folly and it's bound for destruction. Both builders were professing Christians. One hears and does. The other only hears, but does not do. So the question for us all saints, right? The question for me, a minister, is which builder am I? 
which builder are you? You see, many begin the Christian life like that seed that fell on the rocky soil. It springs up with joy, but when trials and tribulations come, persecution for the name comes, uh, I don't know about that anymore. They soon wither. Why? Because they have no root. This is the person who, who likes the Christian faith until it begins to acquire something of them. Specifically, what they must do or stop doing. I remember witnessing to a young lady at Costco when I worked there. Praise God. I love what God, how God used Costco. That 40 years of wilderness was good for me. It wasn't 40. It was 14. But it was good. I hated it. But it was good good. I'm a better minister. I'm a better Christian. I'm a better brother. I'm a better everything because of my time spent there. I can remember asking this girl. She was telling me she was sleeping with her boyfriend. Not her husband. He kept promising to marry her. But why would he? Right? He doesn't need to marry her. She gives him everything he wants as it is. Right? There's no commitment. Right? Guys are afraid of commitment. I said, I said, you know, Rachel, you need to, uh, you need to leave that relationship. She thought, and she hemmed, and she hawed, and we talked, and we talked, and we talked. And I can remember one, one afternoon, so on, she's talking to me, and she just says to me, he said, it's just too hard. I can't. My whole life is bound up with his life. But Rachel, she, he's not made a commitment to you. Why would you do that? Well, I, I don't know. You know, the folly and foolishness of sin, it blinds us. Sin blinds you, you know that? It blinds you. I don't care how smart you are. Some of the smartest people I know are the most foolish people I know. And some of the, the most low-income people... Low, low education level are the wisest people I know, right? We all know that. William Still, you know, William Still was a Scottish minister, godly man, ministered in Aberdeen. He says the trouble in his church began when he quit preaching to the unconverted and began to apply the Bible to the members. That's when it really got difficult in ministry. He said, they nearly went mad with rage. And I thought to myself, Jesus, help me. I want them to like me. But Lord, give me, give me grace to, to want their holiness more than their, more than their uh, vain uh, flattery or whatever. That I would want their holiness. He says, they were willing to hear a good sermon as long as it didn't require anything of them. As long as it didn't require the preacher meddling, challenging any of their little uh, sins, little idols that we love to cuddle. And there's the rub, right? There are many connoisseurs of sermons, but not many takers and doers of the word. So I leave you with this. This is an extraordinary claim, isn't it? Jesus here is saying that nothing less than our whole lives will be judged on how we responded to his word at the end of the day. It will not be enough to say on that day, I heard your words, Lord Jesus. 
His words must not only be heard, they must be put into practice. And did you notice the the promise, right? The parable contains a promise. If we hear and do the words of Jesus, then when the rain falls and the floods come and the winds blow and our house will endure because it's built on Christ himself, the rock of our salvation. You know, as I, as I think about this as a law gospel preacher, I, I had to write this in my notes because I want to leave you with this. When we hear this parable, doesn't it drive you immediately back to Christ? You think about how you've fallen so short of heeding the word of God. Oh, how I need you, Jesus. I need your righteousness. I need you to forgive me and wash me and make me whole. A new again today. Yes, again today. I keep falling in the same old sins. Besetting sin. Wash me afresh today, Lord. Right? It drives me back to Jesus. The law drives us back to the one who fulfilled every command of God for us and bore our every curse in his body on the tree. It drives us to him. And then you know what he does? He cleans us up. He forgives us our sin. And he drives us back in the power of the Spirit to walk in obedience. And then if we fail again, we come back to the cross, get washed up, cleaned up, renewed, refreshed. And you know what he does? He sends us right back. Having learned something from our failure, having been taught by the Spirit, the gentleness and the kindness of God, No harshness doth he make, Calvin says. Putting a new love in my heart to obey him. Ready to confess my failure afresh again, because I'm going to fail again. You see, that's the beauty. This is the sanctification, and we grow from, from one degree of glory to the next. We grow, become more like him. Now, we want more than degrees, but degrees are little. But God's not in a hurry. That's one of the things he used to say about Gerhardus Voss. He, he would always teach, you know, God's not in a hurry. John Newton did too. It was always God's work is gradual. It grinds slowly. And you're thinking, why isn't God doing more? Why aren't I growing faster? Well, God is at work in his providence and his timing to make you more like Jesus. You see, the law drives us to Christ and then Christ drives us back to the law, not to be under the law as a covenant of works to earn his favor, but now as a rule of obedience that we can walk in the Spirit to please him. How do I please him? By having no other gods before him. By not having a graven image before him. By not misusing his name. By by loving his Sabbath. By honoring those in authority over me. You see, it's by doing the word of God. He who hears and does, it is he who loves me. For it is he who's built his house on the rock, not the sand. I leave you with this. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Blessed be his name. Who is a God like our God? There is none. Our triune God, the God who is the reward of his people. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We thank you that you've given him to us as Nels has read from John 3.16, that precious promise that you so love the world that you gave him. And trust our, oh Father, not only did you give him, you made us willing and able to believe and to entrust ourselves to him. Oh Lord, it's all of grace from beginning to end, our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification. It's all of grace. Oh Father, would you fill our hearts with more gratitude, more love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee, we would pray. Oh Lord, that we would walk in gospel obedience, that we would be those who hear the word and not only hear it, but do it, that we might be like those who built their house on the rock. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand and sing our final.